In the future, roving bands of comic book podcasts will savage the wasteland, once known as the Internet. One podcast, the Grawlix Podcast, may not be the biggest, may not be the funniest, may not be the most well-spoken. Wait, what was my point again? Oh yes, the Grawlix Podcast. Listen to it at GrawlixPodcast.com. That's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. <laughs> episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. Joining me today is a true living legend. He's played everything from a wise quacking duck to a soldier who takes a deadly cobra strike to the chest, only to slip into a coma? Please welcome leader of the Joes, Mr. Michael Bell. Hey, I just, wow, what a way to come out of a coma. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you had the blood gushing out. I mean, it was a brutal cobra strike, and coma yeah listen the strike wasn't anywhere near as as their interest in seeing to it that that i didn't do as financially well as don johnson <laughs> that was a real strike and when they said what well, then i said wait a minute it says here that i die and they said yeah i said you're you killing me for kill don johnson nobody knows who he is don't kill me i'm duke nobody knows don johnson who knows don johnson he's nothing in this series screw him so anyway that was that so how you been? I'm listen. I'm good. I'm good. Still uh, uh, out here to quarantine here in uh, Southern California, which is not so terrible actually. I can think of worse places to be quarantined. Yeah, especially I've been fortunate with all my all my work. Uh, so I, I'm I'm on my place. It's called Los Residuales. What does that translate to? The residuals. Ah, I was like I know Spanish. That's I just okay. Can't place it. <laughs> It's just like just like residuals with an ES at the end. Bottom line is it's it was nice. It, years ago, I, you're probably too young. I I did a commercial for Parquet. Uh, I was the voice of butter for Parquet for Kraft. It it just paid for the house. Well, I mean, based on residuals, you you have a lot of them coming in. I mean, you, your career spans decades. Yeah, I know. I'm 106 years old. No, not actually, but I'm sure you feel like it most days. Based on this yeah, uh, career the, list. The knees. The knees are starting to go. It comes from all those years of auditioning. <laughs> please let me have the job. Please, please. Mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, they always say auditioning is 50% begging. It's uh, deadly. Auditioning is deadly, especially now. It was great at one point because there wasn't that, there weren't that many people out there. But now, of course, everybody and his aunt from Alaska to, from Tyson Farms uh, auditions for something, so. Well, and especially in the voice acting world where you went from, it was like this elite group of people to yeah. now it's, like you said, everybody it's wants everybody. in. Well, it's not just that. When, when when I was doing it for years, it was specifically, it was a, a designated kind of work. It was a specific kind of work that 
celebrities weren't interested in, and of course they suddenly were. So now, of course, it's like you see the new, uh, you know, all the all the new series and the movies and everything has all big name superstars in it, and all of us go as if. I mean, who, you know, who needs it? Who the kids? If especially if it's kids, kids don't care if it's Demi Moore or whomever. It might be a Brad Pitt or, you know, they they don't they don't give a damn about that, but uh, the producers do. So we wind up uh, getting. Uh, I guess, you know, what is it, cold beef or cold soy or something. We get off to the side, they throw us the scraps of a voice here and there, which still pays, but it's not as uh, rewarding emotionally to go in and say, hey, you kids, get off of that. Oh, and that's it. I say, a friend of mine a friend of mine and I were talking about that recently. I was playing uh, the latest Skyrim game, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Jim Cummings is in it, and Susan Eisenberg, and Linda Carter's in it. We, we got to thinking when we were trying to figure out when the shift happened. Well, Jim, yeah, Jim, I understand because Jim's a voice person. So yeah, Jim, you know, Jim's, know Jim's a voice guy. Uh, Susan has done voices for years. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, in the game's predecessor, Patrick Stewart played a big role. Oh, Patrick. Yeah. Pat, it's crazy. You know, it's, 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 and I love Patrick, but he doesn't need the money. You know, and it's just like, okay, when did, when did that change? Because, you know, I can remember a time, you know, I'm not even in the business, and I can remember a time when it felt like it was almost looked down on. It you was. Know, in that, you know, there was that elitists where, like, Broadway wouldn't do movies, movies wouldn't do TV, and, you know, God help you if you did voice work. Well, it started years ago when actors well-known actors wouldn't do commercials. So we all had the commercial world to ourselves because we were journeymen actors. We were guest starring on television shows, but that didn't make us superstars. And then uh, Betty Davis, uh, Edward G. Robinson, Lawrence Olivier all started to do commercials. They said, well, if he's doing it, I'll do it because there was big bucks involved. And then, of course, uh, Mike Douglas got a million dollars and Joe Pesci got a million dollars for doing just a voice or something. And so and they were paying tons of money. And then they call us and say, yeah, we're giving scale. How come I get scale? They get a million dollars. You're not even seeing them in terms of voiceover. And uh, Gene Hackman did tons. I, I remember being on, a, being on a job once and Gene Hackman was sitting there and it was for voiceover. It wasn't an audition, but it was a voiceover at one of the studios. Gene Hepburn was sitting there, and I was came in, and James Wood came in, and he said, "How you doing?" I said, "I'm fine." He said, "How you guys good?" And he sees Gene. He says, "Gene." He says, "James." He said, "Hey, how you doing?" He said, "Wow, this is something. Isn't this a great gig?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I got a couple of these things lined up. Who knew there'd be so much, you know, money involved?" And they're busy talking these two big superstars, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Jesus, if I had diapers, I'd fill them." I was so angry. <laughs> you know, I said to somebody. Um, it just—it seems crazy. It, it's just dumb because nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. There was some wonderful voice people out there. Danny Dark and Jack Angel and some really super guys out there. I, I brought in, and, and Johnny, Irwin, Johnny Irwin, who was the voice of Mars the Cat. I brought in young sound, a young kind of, you know, cash off the, off the cuff kind of sound. So I got very successful at it. But uh, these guys were big superstars. Why would they do it? Well, it was the money. And then, like, in Guardians of the Galaxy, you're paying Vin Diesel to say, I am Groot. That's right. That's right. Well, listen. I, I would do that for an eighth of what you paid him. <laughs> well, that's not even the point, of course. Of course you wouldn't. 
Of course, you know, I mean, what was the purpose of, you know, of getting big stars for that? There were no big stars in The Simpsons, were there, until they made them stars. Yeah. And even then, they were not big stars. They're not big stars. But they were all good voices with Dan and all those people. They were good voices, good people that could do a lot of different... When I, when I did the Rugrats, they started to bring in celebrities. I said, what are you bringing in celebrities for? I mean, what? what I, I, don't, I don't understand. This is a tremendously successful show. It's been successful for two or three years at this point. And now all of a sudden you bring in Bruce Willis to play the voice of the dog. I'm the voice of the dog. I am the voice of the dog, along with other voices. What would you bring Bruce Willis in for? Well, you know, it's good to – no, it's not. So when they interviewed me and, and all my actor fellow actors were standing around, they said, because we did the movie, I forgot what she was, the Rugrats in Paris or whatever it was, and they brought in Susan Sarandon for that. I said, what would you bring in Susan Sarandon? She's a lovely actress, but she's wrong for the role. She doesn't do a good French dialect. It's not very good. I know I'm there. I'm watching the teacher work with her. I had to go to New York and, and, and work with her. You know, and, and she played opposite me. I don't I don't get it. I just don't get it. And they said, well, the producers want to meet them. The directors want to meet them. Everybody wants to meet them. And it doesn't do anything for the show. And the final analysis, and they brought in Whoopi Goldberg for a couple of lines in one of the movies. I thought, God, guys, give me a break. But anyway, it's a dead issue. Let's talk about my life. What's cooking? What do you got in mind? What do you it want to know? just hit me that Chaz and Drew Pickles are your voice. Now, I mean, yeah, not, that you've, voice. Not, not that you voiced them, but that's your voice voice. Oh, yeah. Well, my voice for, my voice for uh, Drew is pretty much me. And uh, for uh, Chaz, you know, he's over here and he's... Has an allergy all the time. Because as you were talking, I was just like, "Oh crap! I'm watching Rugrats again." <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I was the Jewish grandpa, Grandpa Boris, the old Jewish grandpa. And, and occasionally I was Reptar. Occasionally they bring me in for Reptar. So you got to growl a lot. <laughs> yeah, to do a you know, and there's one another actor who's doing it, and then occasionally I they have me do it instead. So it happens. Sometimes people can't, don't show. So you do a scratch track and they wind up keeping it anyway, which was cool. You got to be a part of a lot of home run shows. Yeah, I was lucky. I was very fortunate. And yeah, I mean, you run it back to uh, Voltron where you mm -hmm. played Lance. Right. And I mean, what was that like? It was cool. It was fun because in Voltron, we... We did Voltron to time. We didn't see it. We just did it to time. So uh, uh, Kofad, uh, the uh, director, um, he said, okay, you got, you got a second and a half to do this. So you got two and a half seconds. You got two seconds to do this. So two and a third to say this line. And that's how we did it. We didn't know what we were saying. We didn't know what was happening. Just, we just had lines to read as those characters. Well, I'm going to so, bounce around yeah. your uh, list here a little bit. They brought you back as the archivist in Legendary Defender, the recent one on yeah. Netflix. That almost didn't make it. That almost wasn't there. It's really interesting. That didn't even uh, – for the season, I thought, well, they didn't do it. They didn't use it. Then, of course, they used it later on, which was cool. Uh, I you know, got, to meet, got to meet the new cast and – that was fun. Of the reboots, I think that is my favorite reboot. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good. Just 
the yeah. animation, the way it was done. I mean, mm -hmm. you did a guest spot, and it's yeah. funny. For most one-time role guest spots, if I mention a one-time role to somebody other than the person who did it, they have no clue who I'm talking about. But a character you played on MASH. Right. I can mention your character to just about anybody who's ever watched <laughs> no. the show. Really? And they know exactly who I'm talking about, and they have an opinion. You played probably the most polarizing guest character on that show. You beat out the racist guy. Oh, yeah, right. Cool, yeah. Yeah. Yo, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. Well, he, you know, I played him that he was a survivor. He was a guy from Philly who had to survive and make a living. At the, and he cared about the kids, but they, too, were going to be destroyed. So if they were going to make some bucks, we'd make bucks together. And if they lost a leg, so be it. They would have lost a leg anyway. I had approached it from an actor's viewpoint that he felt he was doing something for himself and for them at the same time. But it was a, a heinous character. And great to do, too. That was really cool to get an opportunity to do MASH. The two shows, the two big shows that I wanted, three big shows I wanted to do were Mary Tyler Moore, MASH, and Star Trek, and I got to do them. I mean, yeah, you set some goals for yourself, and yeah. you hit them. Yeah, I sure did. Sure did. Would have been nice to get The Simpsons, because that's where the money was, but uh, you can't have everything, can you? Well, it doesn't seem to be going away. You have some time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, there's just no way. Those guys, as long as those guys are still alive there, it, it's, it's hitting 100. Yeah, Nancy really hit it lucky. Yeah, she did. Uh, one of your miscellaneous credits said you did loop work on Star Wars? Yeah, uh, I played uh, Commander Willard. Crazy. I think he says, thank God you're okay. Princess Leia, we were worried about you or something. I don't know. They had me come in, and uh, Lucas, I didn't know who Lucas was. I didn't know anything about Star Wars. I didn't know who Lucas was, and he brought me in and, and said, uh, we'd like you to look at some of these dailies. And I looked at them, and, and I didn't see anything of any value. I mean, I see this blonde kid who I didn't think was particularly good with a flashlight whipping it back and forth because you, you don't see any beam. And so Harrison Ford, who I never thought was much of an actor until he got older, and at that point I didn't know who he was, and I thought, okay, wow. And then I saw Alec Guinness, I went, wow. I said, you've got Alec Guinness? He said, yeah. I said, wow, he's great. I said, and how come all these voices are English? He said, because I filmed it in Britain. I went, oh, okay. And then there was a scene with the people sitting around the council, and one of the guys questions Darth Vader, and Darth Vader chokes him from a distance. He sort of grabs his throat and starts to choke. So he had me do his voice, and then I did it, and they played it back. He said, so Lucas said, what do you think? And I said, well, he's very good, so why would you have me replace him? And he said, well, you know, in another Brit. I said, yeah, but he's good. He's doing a good job. He said, you think? And I said, yeah, don't replace him. You know, I'll be glad to work. I'm glad to do it, but don't replace him. So they didn't. And then there was, I did a bunch of the young guys in the ship, in, in the spaceship getting killed. You know, yes, oh, we're there, you know. Over to my left, ah, and all that crap. And he said, "I want you to do um, Commander Willard." And I thought, "Okay." I mean, he—I thought he was fine, but he wanted me to do it, and I did it. And never occurred to me this was be a major film. I had no idea. I could, you know, it was just another job. 
And then a year later, I think it came out a year later, a year and a half later, and a group of buddies said to me, we're going to go to uh, Grauman's Chinese to see Star Wars. I went, no, I'll pass. They said, oh, no, come on. I said, no, I did some voices on that. I'm not interested. They said, you did? And I said, yeah, I cares about that. I went, oh, come on. I went, okay. So we went to that. We stood online. It was a long line. I thought, oh, Christ, I'm be here all day. I stood online. And then I thought, okay. And they said, what voices do you do? I said, I don't even recall. I'll let you know when we're watching it. And the minute the movie started, I was as caught up as everybody else. <laughs> so I was, all the special as, effects come in and the music hits. amazed and caught up. And I saw what those flashlights really were and all that stuff. And I went, holy shit. And after it was over, they said, so what did you think? Where was your voice? Who are you? I said, who remembers? Jesus, that was amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, years later, it occurs to me, I never received any residuals. For all, I mean, 10 years later, I'm looking for my contract. Couldn't find it. Contacted them over at, uh, over at his company and uh, said, you know, you guys never paid me residuals for all the replays, for all the, all the stuff that was sold, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of DVDs and, and uh, at that time videotape and then eventually the CD and, and then the constant replays and television I never got a dime. And they said, well, your contract was only good for a day. I said, no, I never did day player. No, I was not a, no. no I, I was, it fell under residuals, trust me. They said, well, can you prove it? And I said, yeah. And I said, I'll find my, I couldn't find my contract. Anyway, because it was years later. So they said, too bad. Have a good life. So he owes me, I would say close to, I would say eight hundred, nine $900,000 in residuals. Oh. Yeah. New movie, Michael Bell and the Search for the Holy Contract. The Search for the yeah, Search for the Holy Grail, Search for the Holy Residual. But yeah, that was and I, not too long. Well, maybe about six, seven years ago. Seven years ago, I'm going to a party for Kevin Michael Richardson, who's an extremely talented voice actor, and we were going to a boat a party on a boat. And Mark came up alongside me, and I know Mark. And he came alongside me, he and his wife, my wife and his wife started talking. I said, you know, Mark, I, I did Star Wars, you know. He said, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I did. He said, no, you didn't. I said, I was in Star Wars. He said, no, you weren't. I said, I was the voice of Commander Willard. He said, what? I said, yeah, I dubbed it. I was. He said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, now you just learned something new. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was finishing up this morning. I was editing... Uh... Shannon Farnan's uh, interview that I did with her. Oh, Shannon, yeah. And then I'm going through your uh, IMDb and come across Challenge of the Super Friends. Yep. I was like, crazy, small world. Yep. But it goes back oh, yeah. to what we were talking about. You know, there was that group of, you know, voice actors and actresses for the longest time yeah. before. Oh, yeah. Stars came in before they got the stars. Before they got the big names, yep, absolutely. Well, they re they, they just redid uh, Rugrats, yeah, uh, the TV series. Yeah, and I, I spoke saw that. And I said, "So what's cooking? Am I going to be in this?" They said, "She said, no, they don't. Uh, they have, they're going to be recasting your role." I said, "Any particular reason?" She said, "Yeah, they want young, well-known celebrities or something. Not the kids, not the girls who will play the kids because they're so." Uh, you know, they're so they are well known and so well celebrities. known. I said, but I said, so who's going to do Chucky's dad, Chaz or Drew, uh, LeBron James? Who are they going to get? 
So, whomever. Well, let's see what happens. I mean, you, you got to remember, fans are a fickle bunch. Nah, they'll watch the show. You kidding me? And then the new babies won't know the difference. The new kids won't know the difference. The fans will watch the show and say, oh, well, that's not Michael Bell, but that's okay. It's a good show. And uh, Katsusi and Iji, you know, all the kids, all the women that play the kids will be in it, so they'll enjoy that. But I don't know what the show's like. I have no idea what the writing's like. So. Uh, you were a Smurf. Well, a Smurf. You were multiple Smurfs. Yeah, multiple Smurfs. Yes, exactly. And the last season I did... Um, Gargamel, the last four, when Paul Winchell left, I did the voice of Gargamel. And you were man. And it was Pee Wee and Johan and yeah, that, that was my place. studio. Yeah, I'm everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Very varied. In the Incredible Hulk Clark cartoon, you got to play Dr. Banner. Bruce Banner, yeah. And my wife became, uh, was uh, the uh, Hulkus, or whatever it was, the She-Hulk. She was the She-Hulk. Victoria Carroll. She was the She-Hulk. You know, that, that was something I found interesting. Your family, your, your current family unit, is an acting family. Yeah, we are. And that's awesome. I mean, your wife's an actor, your daughter, I'm yeah. a huge fan of. Do you watch horror films? I do. I have a horror podcast. Did you uh, did you see her in Carnage Park? I did. Oh, it's such a good film. But there's a film that got by that no one had seen. Not 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 the Last Exorcism because everyone's seen that. But if you've never seen The Day, it's it's black and white. The Day uh, with um, Sean. I can't think of Sean's last name. And the actor who produced it is the actor who was in uh, Lord of the Rings. I forgot his name. That's awful. Anyway, Ashley is in that, and uh, Shannon, Shannon, somebody right. I forgot her name also. But it's a good film. It's called The Day. It's it's after the world has ended, and the few people left are between humans, good good people, good people, and cannibals. It's really good. Yeah, my buddy was telling me about that this morning. Because no he, he's seen yeah. it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you really need to check it out. He goes, you, yeah. you've liked, you, you like the rest of this stuff. You need, you need to check this out. I'm like, okay, I will. He hasn't steered me wrong yet. And you'll love the ending, too. It's great fun. It's really, really creepy. It's a creepy film. It's called The Day. It's really cool. You know, so, I mean, it's like, okay, you know, you haven't steered me wrong, so I'll. You'll enjoy it. It's really good. And on her success, her success as a producer-director of... Uh, a documentary called Love and Bananas about the rescue of a 70-year-old um, partially blind elephant from Thailand from a trekking camp and her 500-mile journey to uh, freedom to a sanctuary is just an extraordinary film. Got all kinds of great reviews. It was up for an Academy Award. It was just great. And it was the first film she ever wrote, produced, and directed. Wow. So if you ever get a chance, if, if you love animals, it's called Love and Bananas. It's really worth looking at. But that's uh, yeah, we're we're an acting family pretty much. Not only did you do GI Joe, which right. was huge in the eighties, you also did Transformers. Yep, yep. Prowl, lift ticket, whatever. Chase, uh, brainstorm, uh, scrapper. Scrapper, prowl, swoop, 
Junkion. Junkion, yeah. First yeah. aid. Yeah, at ESCO, you got the job, but I mean, it's Hasbro. They seem to have, they, if I remember correctly, they latch on to their like select group and just use that yeah. group. Well, thankfully, there were no stars, as it were. Maybe Dick Godier had more of a name, but I think there were no stars in that show. And we had uh, Frank Welker, of course, and, uh, and uh, you know, some really, really talented, talented voice people. Say, I had the pleasure of, you know, one of my first interviews, who was how I got connected with you, was Neil Ross. Neil, yeah. Who played yeah. Uh, Shipwreck on uh, G.I. Sure. Joe. Sure. Uh, which right. then leads us to your myriad of roles on G.I. Joe, but most notably, you voiced Duke, leader of the Joes. Yep. Duke, that's right. Duke. Did you see Community? Yes. That was a fun show. That was funny. Doing Duke for that show was funny. Was there, like, any... I don't know if pressure is the right word, but, I mean, you kind of had to carry... You had the weight of the show on your shoulders a lot of times, being the leader of the team and doing that was there any as the actor portraying the character was there any like did you feel any of that when you're voicing him or not, no not really i mean you know we don't forget we did the show it was just another job it was another another fun show to do and then we left there and went someplace else and i'd be there and go someplace else and work the next day on something else and get the script and say okay you're you're in next week and we have a new character for you and you know, the, the way it was was just a job. Who knew what was going to We had no idea this was going to happen 20, 30 years later. That's crazy. I mean, 40 years, 50 years later. No, not, no one had a clue. You just did your job. You, you know, I was doing uh, that, and uh, I had another series there for them. And then, of course, there was Transformers, and you know, was, we were busy. All of us were really busy. We didn't realize how fortunate we were. Well, so it wasn't, of course, as yeah. we alluded to at the beginning, you managed to avoid the Optimus Prime debacle. You know, they didn't kill you off in the movie. Yeah, they yeah they killed me off in the movie, and uh, they tried to kill me as as Duke, and then they killed me as Sven in Voltron. So I'm the actor that they like to kill. <laughs> Well, I mean, it could be worse. Yeah, as long as they got another part for me, I'm fine. As long as I'm playing much. three roles, I don't mind losing one of them. But I didn't want to lose Duke. I thought Duke was really important to hang on to. So we did, uh, I managed to hang on to Duke, which is fun. Let's see, after Optimus died in the movies, mm -hmm. if Duke would have died too, I think people would have rioted. It would have been too much. Yeah. I think you would have seen a riot in the streets and there would have been bloodshed. And they would have it's over a cartoon. It would have been crazy. Over a cartoon, yes. <laughs> they would have come to Hollywood and killed Flint Dill. Sure. You were in My Little Pony. I know. Oh, my God. Do I ever live that down? I think I was a goat or a troll or something. Let's see. You were Grundle. 
Trundle the Troll or something, yeah. Yeah, did all that. And Snorks. Yeah. Get the snorks. <clears throat> snorks and Rubik's Cube. and Rubik's Cube. That was a game, wasn't it? I think it was a video game. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've been a part of so many people's childhoods. Yeah, For I know. For generations. I know. When I go to conventions, I see so many people that say, oh, my God. I was a shut-in or I was a latchkey kid and you know, I knew you better than I knew my parents. And I, you know, and I say something simple like, well, am I in your will? Are you leaving me any money? Leaving me any money? I mean, <laughs> none of this bullshit. Give me any bucks? When I started looking through your uh, uh, credits list yeah, on IMDb, I was like, I don't know where to start. It's like, I just need to pick a decade and dive in. I mean. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. I'm very fortunate. Very fortunate because it certainly doesn't happen today. Today's market. Yeah, there's, you you really have something from every decade Mm -hmm. that reaches out to somebody. I mean, you did Dick Dastardly in 90. Yeah. Yep, I took over for Dick Dastard. That's why it was so interesting to see the new series, the new movie Scoob, and all these stars playing all those roles, and some of them that you know that I'm well equipped to do, and other actors I know, of course, other my voice actor buddies. I mean, I said, what? Who's the guy who's playing um, Scrappy? You know, um, I had worked for the longest time because I, I guest starred on Scooby Doo. And uh, I had Scrappy's voice down pat, still do, but uh, they want names, so nothing you can do. Well, and you were part of the ill-fated Pride of the X-Men. Pride of the X-Men, and that was, yeah, I remember that. I I think I had one eye or something in that, didn't I? See, you were Cyclops. Cyclops, yeah, right. So you got to shoot lasers out of your eyes. That's exactly. You were in an episode, episode of Tiny Toons as Batman? Yeah, I sure was. Uh, you did Tailspin. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, I mean, you got the, like, 90s Disney block down. I blocked him. I got it down, yeah. You know, then and obviously then Quacker did... Jack and Darkwing yeah. Duck. Sure. Yep. Even more obscurely, Pirates of Darkwater. What's that? Pirates of Darkwater. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. Talk about obscure. Yeah. Yeah. Most people like I bring up the show. Most people are like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Oh, shut up." Exactly. Yeah. Of course. And the kid stuff I did, Mina and the Count. I think Mark was, Mark Hamill was the vampire, and I was the dad. It's crazy to think because when you're not doing kid stuff, you're bouncing between the different Star Trek shows. Did an episode of Next Gen, and then right. Deep Space Nine. Right. Did a couple of deep, deep Space Nights. I think I did two. I did a two-parter, and then I did another one. I played some sort of a creature with a lot of stuff on my head. You either have a four-leaf clover or a hell of an agent. Hey, let's add a little talent to that, will you? Well, I'm not saying you're not talented, but to to get even the lineup for some of these... <laughs> you got to a certain point in those days you got to a certain point where you, you got known 
you know, and somebody says, well, let's bring him in because he or let's bring her or him in because we know they'll get the job done within a short amount of time. We're not talking Academy Award or Emmy written stuff. I mean, brilliant, brilliant work other than I think Rugrats was, I think, a brilliant show, beautifully written. But most of the shows are pretty much cut and dry. Bad guy, good guy, hero, heroine, whatever, villain. And it was pretty basic. But they, at least they knew you could do it. And if they called upon you to do a dialect, they knew you could do a dialect. You know, I, I ran from, I did a lot of different dialects when I was working. Even when I did Dallas, I went and I said, oh, God, this is the same old bullshit. And I said, okay, I'll do Dallas, but I'm going to do an Irish dialect. See if the director stops me. He didn't stop me. So I just kept this Irish dialect because I got a chance to work, play. Say, <laughs> so, yeah, when, when the director just lets you go, in, embrace it. Well, the, the point is that, you know, if he's a good director that, and he thinks he's got some talent at hand, then you're lucky. You know, that's the end result. The end result is you're lucky that he trusts you. So, and I recently learned in another interview that you also do voice coaching. Yeah, I teach voice animation uh, here in, in Hollywood. I don't do anything on Zoom. Because I'm not doing much now, obviously. There's no one coming over to my house, which is fine. Uh, but I also, um, I did some classes, an hour of classes, just basic how to develop characters and create some stuff for you vocally. And it's on YouTube. It's um, Michael Bell Voice Animation Seminar or something. Because, yeah, there was a gentleman I interviewed very recently he couldn't stop touting your praises. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Cam Clark. Oh, Cam. Yeah. Yeah. And Cam is funny because I taught Cam. He came to my class when I had my own theater. So I, I was teaching Cam. And one day he came back to class. He said, okay, I have an announcement to make. He said, what's that? He said, I got a part. We all went, whoa, Cam. Oh, my God. That's great. What's the role? And he told us what the role was. And I said, Jesus, Cam, that's great. Because I read for that, too. He went, what? I said, that is the best possible advertisement you can give me. <laughs> that, that, I, that your teacher auditioned for it, and you got it. Bravo. And then we share a character, which I wasn't aware of that we were sharing a character, that we did um, something in uh, something of the storm, a video game, Heroes of the Storm. As... I just got to that one. Something. Um, Medivh. Well, Medivh, I, I did Medivh for, yeah, Medivh, maybe Medivh we shared. It's very possible we shared Medivh. I did originally Medivh for the original one, and then they had me come back for Heroes of the Storm, and then they played up, they, they said, here's your, uh, we're going to play it for you so you can hear what it sounds like. And I said, that's not me. They said, no, it's you. I said, no, it's not me. They said, it's you. I said, no, it's not me. So they looked and they said, oh, my God, that's Cam. I said, so you got Cam instead of me? I said, you might not have been available. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm back. And uh, so, yeah, Cam and I share a character. It's interesting. Well, you guys also share a Metal Gear Solid connection. Right. Exactly. Uh, right. You play, in a couple of them, you play just the Russian soldier. Right, Russian soldier, yeah. But then yeah. you also play the fear. Right, the fear. I was the I am the fear. Yes, exactly. 
you you not only good guys you, you have you have a pretty good bad guy run yep. and your characters the some people have lists of hundreds of characters now you have a list of hundreds of iconic iconic characters, characters. yeah you're right that's cool have you ever have you ever played um, Defiance of Cain? Uh, not yet. Oh well, you are in for a treat if you can find it. Defiance of Cain and Razael—it's a sensational, sensational series. The Soul Reaver, Soul Reaver, a sensational series. I get a lot of fan response from that. People have said, "Oh my God, it's one of the best video games ever," called Soul Reaver. Since you've done both animation and video game which do you prefer uh animation or video game uh, voiceover work i'm not really sure uh i love doing the animation when we can work together uh video games you don't work together you do pretty much you do it yourself except so we we did work together that was great fun with renea bergenois and some really talented people that was great fun but uh it's hard to say that the video games are really tough because it's a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, and you have to die several different ways and fight several different ways with several different implements, depending upon the player and what they want you to do. So it becomes very uh, painful. Whereas um, in terms of animation, there are residuals, which you don't get that much of in video games. In video games, you get, I think, just one or two somethings. But uh, in... Uh, Animation, you get really covered nicely for residuals. Nice. I said residuals are the way to go. Residuals are it. Yeah, as long as they keep residuals, I'll be happy. But I don't do that much anymore anyway. You know, I'm, I'm still as long as there. you keep the contract. Yeah. And uh, I would rather direct. I mean, that's really great fun. I directed uh, um, Kid Video for Saban, and I directed um, Peter Pan with... Uh, Jason Marsden and Tim Curry as Captain Hook. I did 80 of those, directed 80 of those. What was, uh, you were a creative consultant on Sparks. Yeah. What was that? Sparks is, a, is kind of a fun film. My daughter starred in it, and the director came to me, projector producer, and he said, I, you know, I'd love actually to do it. And they said, great, you know, she, I'm sure she would want to. I don't know what it's about, but it's a superhero uh, film. It's an on-camera film, and uh, and he showed me the uh, comic book that it's derived from that he'd written with uh, William Cat, and I said this a lot of it doesn't make sense for for its transcribing to film because it's not going to work. And so I sort of went over it with him and did a little cut and slash and made suggestions while we were on the set and everything. So he gave me a consult. I that really was not much to do, but. Uh, it's an interesting film. It has some faults, but it's uh, it's still kind of interesting. Do you have any advice you could offer for anyone who wants to break into the voice acting? Yeah, learn your craft. Go to an improv class. Take an improv class as soon as this pandemic lifts and people can start getting together and uh, start touching. Uh, take an improv class or take a Zoom improv class. There's a lot of improv. There's a thing called the Groundlings, and they may be doing a Zoom teaching, Zoom training through the Groundlings. 
G-R-O-U-N-D-L-I-N-G-S here in Hollywood. The Groundlings is a brilliant improv group and they have teaching and they teach by Zoom, by camera. So that you just tell everybody to check into the Groundlings, look for their Zoom classes and join. And uh, and also tune in, go into YouTube, go to Michael Bell Voice Animation and you'll see my uh, my training for an hour. So mine is free. Groundlings is a couple of bucks, but mine is free. Do you, I mean, you've already had so many legendary roles, but is there one role that you would really like to do before your time is over? Before my time is over? Before I grab my chest, fall over, and <laughs> shit in my pants? Uh, before the, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. Yeah, right. I can't imagine. I don't, in terms of a role, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's anything, unless I saw something in a script and I looked at it and said, wow, I'd love to play this. This would be great fun. I'd love to get a, a running character in The Simpsons. That would be great, financially as well as um, from a theatrical point of view, because it's great fun. Added pool house to residuales. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be just great. It would be cool. It would know, be fun to have that kind of a legacy to be part of The Simpsons. That would be really a cool legacy. But I've already got my legacy, but that would be just an, an additional thing, as it were. Or really a good chunk in a new Disney film. A really good character in a Disney film. That would be great fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. But I, that's, you know, wishable. I mean, there's so many celebrities want to do that. They're not about to ask for Michael Bell. So, so be it. So, Michael, where can your fans find you? Um, they can't, you know, unless they go to the, that YouTube, they can watch me teach. But other than that, I'm, uh, I'm hiding under a rock here in Southern California. What about social media? You on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Sure. I guess somewhere there. <laughs> Michael Bell. I don't really go to Twitter that much, except that if I want to advertise an animal organization or activity or something that my daughter's doing, I'll go on Twitter, but in general, I don't bother. Um, pretty much, you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. I have 8 million Facebook friends, mostly fans. If anybody wants to go there, they can always say hi. I usually respond. If I get to my computer, that's about pretty much it. And then, of course, go to YouTube. I tell people to do that because I think they'll get a kick out of it. If they really want to learn how to do voiceover and to create characters, that would be the way to do it. Uh, do you have any upcoming projects coming out, or is everything pretty well locked Not down a, right now? No, everything's no, everything's done. Whatever I did, it'd be done, 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 and finished. Yeah. Well, it's been a blast uh, chatting with you today, and. It's been cool. Going through yeah. your decade of legendary characters. Sure. Yeah. And listeners, you can find uh, Michael on Facebook and Twitter. I'll have the links in the episode description. You can find me on Twitter at the handle Moose Media Inc. or at electronicmediacollective.com. And Michael, I want to thank you for coming in uh bull spinning with me today yeah it was my pleasure ed you know folks there's a lot of good podcasts out there and if you didn't hear it here it's probably just a load of bull spit so until <laughs> next time take her easy
Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye. Ooh-wee, that sure was some bull spit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time.